Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. Thank you for standing by. This is the conference operator. Welcome to the Rogers Communications, Inc. Second Quarter 2021 Results Conference Call. As a reminder, all participants are in listen-only mode and the conference is being recorded. Following the presentation, we will conduct a question and answer session. To join the question queue, you may press star, then one on your telephone keypad. Should you need assistance during the conference call, you may signal an operator by pressing star and zero. I would now like to turn the conference over to Paul Carpino, Vice President of Investor Relations with Rogers Communications. Please go ahead, Mr. Carpino. Great. Thanks, Ariel. Good morning, everyone, and thank you for joining us. Today, I'm here with our President and Chief Executive Officer, Joe Natale, and our Chief Financial Officer, Tony Staffieri. Today's discussion will include estimates and other forward-looking information from which our actual results could differ. Please review the cautionary language in today's earnings report and in our 2020 annual report regarding the various factors, assumptions, and risks that could cause our actual results to differ. With that, let me turn it over to Joe to begin. Thank you, Paul, and good morning, everyone. Over the past 16 months, successive waves of the pandemic have had a profound impact on all of our lives. This time last year, our second quarter results reflected the significant societal and economic impacts of the first nationwide lockdown. As Canada grappled with the challenges of COVID-19, our teams worked tirelessly to adapt all aspects of our company's operations to keep our customers connected and our employees safe. Twelve months later, we have come a long way. We've developed new innovative ways to deliver for our customers while improving efficiency and managing costs. I'm incredibly proud of our team's ability to pivot quickly in challenging times to deliver a solid performance across our business in Q2. While some elements of the pandemic will be with us for some time, we're optimistic about the road ahead. Today, more than 79% of eligible Canadians have received their first dose of the vaccine. Provinces are progressively reopening, and economic indicators point to strong growth in the back half of this year. As Canada steps towards a brighter future, we are well positioned to meet the needs of our customers and support our country's economic recovery. Today, I'd like to take you through the highlights of our second quarter, followed by an overview of how we continue to deliver for our customers while investing in our long-term growth, after which I'll provide more details on how we are well positioned to deliver continuous improvement throughout this year, before turning to Tony for more detailed commentary. Despite the third wave of the pandemic and varying degrees of lockdowns across provinces, our total service revenue was up 12% and adjusted EBITDA up 6%. In wireless, our Q2 postpaid net additions were very strong with 99,000 new subscribers. This is up 100,000 from a year ago and represents 22,000 more subscribers than the 77,000 postpaid net additions we reported in Q2 of 2019. And while travel restrictions continue to impact roaming revenues, our wireless service revenue returned to growth and was up 2%. We maintained a postpaid churn of 0.80%. As our stores reopen, we anticipate seeing the benefits of our exceptional physical distribution network combined with the strong digital capabilities we've developed over the past year. In our cable business, we saw revenue growth of a solid 5% year-over-year and adjusted EBITDA up 8%. Our Ignite TV platform attracted an additional 66,000 subscribers in Q2, and ARPA also grew. 
This growth was driven by the continued investment in our robust Ignite platform, as well as one gigabit internet speeds across our entire footprint, and now expanding with the launch of Ignite Internet Gigabit 1.5. Finally, in Rogers Sports and Media, we saw strong growth as audience viewership reached record levels and advertisers enthusiastically returned to our live professional sports programming. Revenue grew by 84% from the pandemic lows of Q2 2020. Overall, we're very encouraged by our performance in Q2 as the business continues to recover. We remain focused on delivering sequential improvements each quarter, as well as making longer-term growth investments. We continue to make strategic capital investments to enhance the performance of our network and meet the future needs of our customers. We are expanding our GPON-based fiber and strategic areas and continue to upgrade and evolve our DOCSIS 3.1 platform as our cable network evolves to DOCSIS 4.0. We also continue to accelerate the rollout of Canada's largest 5G network. A recent report by the Economist Intelligence Unit looking at the 5G environment in 60 markets globally found that approximately 68% of the countries studied are likely to have switched on 5G by the end of 2021. Without a question, 5G is an essential requirement in a country's ongoing productivity, fueling growth, fueling innovation that Canada needs now more than ever. Proudly, Rogers was one of the first to bring 5G to Canada in 2020. We already connect more than 700 communities. And by the end of the year, we will cover 1,000 communities, reaching over 70% of the Canadian population. For the third year in a row, our network leadership was recognized in July by Umlaut, the global leader in mobile network benchmarking, which named Rogers 4G and 5G as best in test and Canada's most reliable network. Rogers won in BC, Alberta, Ontario, Nova Scotia, New Brunswick, and Quebec, including Canada's largest cities, Vancouver, Edmonton, Calgary, Toronto, Ottawa, and Montreal. We were also recently recognized by UCLA, the global leader in fixed broadband and mobile network testing applications, as Canada's most consistent national wireless and broadband provider with the fastest internet in Ontario, New Brunswick, Newfoundland, and Labrador. These awards reinforce that our investments in our world-class networks not only keeps Canadians connected to what matters most today, but provides a strong foundation for us to continue expanding and enhancing our networks to bring them the very best performance in the future. And while we connect more Canadians to 5G, we continue to build partnerships across the country to develop use cases and move towards ongoing commercialization of 5G technology. Last month, we helped achieve another first, providing 5G connectivity for Canada's first autonomous 5G shuttle with the University of Waterloo. We also recently enabled Canada's first 5G drone flight with the University of British Columbia and Indro Robotics. Ongoing investments in networks, technology, and innovation are vital for Canada's future. With recent regulatory decisions helping bring more certainty to the investment climate for our sector, we will continue investing in our networks, which will in turn help spur job creation, economic growth, and bridge the digital divide that exists in, in many places across our country. All of our investments are a part of a multi-year plan to bring next-generation wireless and wireline services to communities and businesses across Canada, and in particular in rural and remote areas. In the last two years, we have doubled the number of rural and remote communities where we offer reliable internet. By the end of 2021, we will reach more than 500,000 households in rural and underserved areas. We are proud to be partnering with governments and communities at every level in this very important work. This quarter, we partnered with the Mississaugas of the Credit First Nation 
to bring fiber connectivity to homes and businesses across the community. We're also partnering with the government of Canada through the Universal Broadband Fund to bring high-speed internet to communities of Carlsbad Springs and Simcoe County. From rural and remote communities to urban centers over the past year and a half, we've enabled and enhanced connectivity to more than a thousand communities faster than at any time before in our company's history. As Canadian families and businesses relied on our networks to work, to learn, to stay connected, we delivered fiber to new neighborhoods, brought 5G to Canadians for the first time, added even more speed and reliability to our home internet service, and built new cell towers in rural and remote parts of our country. And in the second half of this year, we will accelerate the pace of our infrastructure rollout to reach an additional 750 communities. And together with Shaw, we will be able to deliver next-generation connectivity to communities across Western Canada faster than either company could alone, helping to create jobs and attract investment. As planned, we are engaged in working with the regulatory bodies as they review the transaction, and we continue to expect the deal to close in the first half of next year. Before we shift to a more detailed view of our financials, I'd like to recognize the tremendous efforts of our team who relentlessly deliver for our customers and our communities every single day. Despite the challenges of the pandemic, our team members' dedication, absolute commitment to connect Canadians to a world of possibility and the moments that matter most in their lives has never ever been stronger. We continue to invest in Canada's next generation of leaders, next generation of change makers and innovators through our Ted Rogers Scholarship Program, which is now in its fifth year. This year we awarded more than 375 scholarships to young people across 125 communities. These scholarships support youth to overcome financial barriers to post-secondary education, helping to enable them achieve their highest potential. And while our passion to give back and support our communities continues to thrive, we're also focused on the opportunity and responsibility we have to help shape a brighter future for all Canadians. As an organization, we're taking meaningful steps to strengthen our environmental, social, social and governance performance. We've enhanced our transparency and reporting framework to include our commitments to the UN Sustainable Development Goals, the Sustainability Accounting Standards Board, and Task Force on Climate-Related Financial Disclosures, and continued tracking against the Global Reporting Initiative. Later this month, we will release our 2020 ESG and Social Impact Reports. For more than 10 years, Rogers has published a corporate social responsibility report outlining our commitments to communities across Canada from coast to coast. With this year's more comprehensive report, we will highlight our commitment to drive progress on a broader range of important issues to Canadians and the metrics we're using to help track our progress. And with that, let me now turn the call over to Tony to share more details about the quarter. Tony? Over to you. Thank you, Joe, and good morning, everyone. Our Q2 results reflect solid improvements Rogers is seeing as the country continues to recover from the pandemic. In wireless, we delivered another quarter of strong postpaid net ads and service revenue returned to growth. Postpaid net ads were 99,000 compared to a net loss of 1,000 last year and were more than double sequentially from the 44,000 in Q1 of this year. Service revenue was up 2%, primarily driven by a growing postpaid subscriber base, and ARPU was stable on a year-over-year -year basis at $49.16. Roaming revenue was up around $25 million from one year ago, but still well below the $115 million seen in Q2 2019 in the pre-COVID environment. Wireless adjusted EBITDA was up 10%, and adjusted EBITDA service margin grew 
420 basis points to just over 62%. The year-over-year -year improvement primarily reflects the impact of the incremental bad debt provision taken in the second quarter of last year. However, our efficiency initiatives are also contributing to the year-over-year -year improvements, and this should further under, underpin strong revenue flow-through and profitability growth rates as revenue recovers. Our cable business delivered strong financial results. Revenue increased 5%, driven by higher ARPA, as a result of disciplined promotional activity, service pricing changes implemented in 2020, and an increase in total customer relationships seen over the last year. We continue to see growth in our internet and Ignite TV subscriber base, where we added 15,000 broadband net additions, along with 66,000 Ignite TV net additions in Q2. Our Ignite TV net additions were higher by 48,000 compared to last year, and our Ignite TV subscriber base now stands at 668,000. This base is 54% higher than our subscriber base was in the second quarter last year. These results are impressive and are being driven by a combination of our fully one gig enabled internet footprint combined with the impressive capabilities of the Ignite platform. These two drivers are not only delivering healthy subscriber growth, but also delivering significant operating and CapEx efficiency as well. Adjusted EBITDA grew a healthy 8% year over year. This gave rise to a margin of 48.6% in cable in Q2, up 160 basis points from the second quarter last year. Along with our strong cable margin performance, capital spending efficiency and ongoing improvements in hardware costs resulted in capital intensity of 22%, down from 25% in Q2 last year. Cash margins remained at a healthy 26% this quarter. Moving to our media business, we saw significant revenue growth with the return of professional sports programming. Revenue was $546 million, up 84% from last year, reflecting the healthy recovery of advertising. Adjusted EBITDA declined to negative $75 million associated with higher sports programming fees and additional production costs, as well as the additional impact of the Blue Jays player payroll, all while having significant limitations on game day revenues. On a consolidated basis, total revenue grew by 14% and consolidated adjusted EBITDA increased by 6%. COVID-19 impacts in Q2 were still notable, with estimated impacts of $160 million in revenue and $185 million in adjusted EBITDA. While these results are much improved compared to the $725 million and $300 million impact in the same period last year, parts of our business are still recovering. Capital expenditures in Q2 were $719 million, up 29% year-over-year as we played some catch-up from a quieter spending environment in Q1. This reflected a CapEx intensity of 20%. Cash income taxes sequentially decreased this quarter to a more normalized level of $175 million, reflecting a cash tax rate of 13% as a percentage of adjusted EBITDA. Free cash flow was $302 million, down 35% as a result of increases in cash income taxes and capital expenditures. As at June 30, 2021, we had $6.9 billion of available liquidity, including $900 million in cash and cash equivalents, and a combined $6 billion available under our bank credit facilities and receivables securitization program. This quarter, we entered into a U.S. dollar $1.6 billion non-revolving credit facility and also increased the limit on our existing revolving credit facility to $4 billion. Our weighted average cost of borrowings was 4.02% as at June 30th this year, and our weighted average term to maturity was 13.4 years.
While we're in a peak investment period, we are making generational investments that are 100% consistent to our core operations and multi-decade strategy to grow our networks and connect Canadians. As we have proven over multiple decades, the investments we have made have created long-term value for our customers and our shareholders. As we expand our networks to bridge the digital divide, expand our 5G network, including the purchasing of essential spectrum, and complete the SHA transaction to drive competition and increase capabilities across the country, we're excited with the value we expect these investments will create for decades to come. Let me now turn to our Q3 outlook. In our wireless business, our traditional retail distribution channels are fully open, and we expect the positive loading environment to continue in Q3. Pent-up consumer demand, people becoming mobile again, and students returning to school will drive this growth. We believe service revenue will grow modestly on a sequential basis and anticipate blended ARPU should be back to $50 as roaming starts to recover. Additionally, we anticipate our strong wireless adjusted EBITDA margin performance to continue and remain at the 63% level, and we expect CapEx intensity to be approximately 19%. In our cable business, we expect strong results to continue in Q3, although year-on-year -year revenue and EBITDA growth will be slightly lower as we have held back on any price adjustments at this time. Cable adjusted EBITDA margins are expected to be back at approximately 50%. Additionally, CapEx intensity is expected to be approximately 23% as we continue to enhance our cable infrastructure and provide connectivity to more communities. In our sports and media business, we expect revenue to sequentially decline slightly as both the NHL and NBA have completed their seasons. However, EBITDA will return to profitability in the $30 million range, primarily associated with lower programming fees. Finally, on cash taxes and free cash flow, we expect our cash taxes to be approximately $175 million in Q3, similar to Q2, and free cash flow will be down on a year-over-year -year basis, driven by higher taxes and capex spending. Overall, we're very pleased with our execution and results in Q2 as the, as the economy continues to recover. While cable has resumed a more normal operating environment, both our wireless business and sports and media business are still recovering, but in excellent shape to benefit from an opening economy. Let me now turn the call back to the operator to commence with Q&A. Thank you. We will now begin the question and answer session. To join the question queue, you may press star, then one on your telephone keypad. You will hear a tone acknowledging your request. If you are using a speakerphone, please pick up your handset before pressing any keys. To withdraw your question, please press star, then two. We will pause for a moment as callers join the queue. Our first question comes from Drew McReynolds of RBC. Please go ahead. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up zero to one grams of net carbs, five to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. Yeah, thanks very much. Uh, good morning, uh, everyone. Um, three, three for me. Uh, first, uh, Tony, thanks very much for, for the detailed Q3. Maybe more broadly speaking, can you talk about uh, your, your CapEx plans, um, at least directly, just given you know, most of the peers are you know, putting in uh, transition or elevated uh, CapEx projects uh, and continue to do so? Um, secondly, I, I guess also for you, Tony, um, just in terms of full-year guidance, you've talked about you know, a couple of known unknowns that has prevented you from providing full year guidance. So presumably that still is the case, but maybe you can provide a little bit of kind of granularity on that. And lastly, just an update on the migration to unlimited plans and uh, where you uh, expect to be um, 
uh, exiting uh, Q3. Thank you. Thanks, Drew. Um, I'll start with um, uh, start going through the list um, on capex in terms of um, probably best to explain it by way of capital intensity. On the wireless side, as we've uh, accelerated our 5G rollout, you know I think you ought to expect the capital intensity in wireless to sit somewhere in the 14 to 15 percent range uh, for the balance of the year, and as we look to you know the early parts of next year. Um, and I think that's consistent with uh, you know what we've said said in the past. Uh, and then on the cable side, uh, we continue aggressive build out of our footprint, uh, and in particular rural communities, together with uh, the government and funding from the government. Uh, and so expect our cable capex to sit in the 22 to 24 percent range um, over the course of uh, the balance of this year, uh, as well as into uh, uh, early parts of next year, um, and then we'll provide appropriate uh, guidance uh, at the right time with respect to 2022. Uh, so I think no surprises there and a continuation of healthy investment in our networks. Um, in terms of full-year guidance, um, as we um, look to the fourth quarter, you know, what are the issues that um, uh, we're looking at um, that are you know, still in the category of uncertainty? Um, we had always outlined uh, sports media as being one, uh, and the Jays in particular. Um, I would say the certainty around that um, has been helped with the announcement that the Jays are back in Toronto. gives us a little bit of a better feel for what that's going to look like. But the attendance in the stand is capped, in the uh, uh, in the stands is capped, um, and therefore there's probably little variability there. More importantly, though, uh, in terms of roaming. That one's still a difficult one to predict. You saw in Q2 uh, that we were running at about 20% of where we used to be uh, two years ago. And so that one is going to have a lot of volatility depending on uh, international travel, the status of border openings and closings, uh, and so much more difficult to predict. Uh, and then along those lines, uh, in terms of um, demand, uh, new subscribers, we're seeing, much like we saw in Q2, good healthy demand in Q3. Um, again, still difficult to predict how that's going to play in Q4 uh, with any variant and related closures that that might have. And so um, that's probably the second biggest in terms of wireless volumes. Having said that, um, we are fairly optimistic about the pent-up demand we're seeing in wireless. Um, and the number of things that we expect to come on board, including immigration, uh, very healthy GDP backdrop. Um, so we're feeling bullish about volumes, but uh, again, still a, a touch of uncertainty there. Uh, and then finally on unlimited plans, uh, we ended the quarter at uh, over 2.7 million. Uh, we're really pleased with that. Uh, we have seen the migration slightly slow down from past trends, and uh, frankly, we expected that as consumers uh, continue to be uh, at home and working off of in-home Wi-Fi, the need for unlimited uh, is just less compelling. But what we do see is as soon as things open up, if you're to look at stats for the last week, for example, um, data usage on mobile just bounces up to 50% plus uh, in terms of growth. And so we fully expect um, we fully expect that that demand will resume on what is already uh, the largest unlimited base in, in the country. Um, so we're very pleased with where we sit uh, and the future prospect for the unlimited plans. That's great. Thank you, Tony. Thanks, Drew. Next question, Ariel. Our next question comes from Jeff Fan of Scotiabank. Please go ahead. Thank you. Good morning. Um, Post-pay churn was, um, was really encouraging. Um, didn't think you would come close to the last year's churn number when everything was shut down. So can you talk a little bit about the maybe the factors that led into it um, and, and perhaps help us think about the, the competitive environment? Because last year, when things reopened, we saw some uh, pretty aggressive promotions that were in the market um, as everyone was chasing um, the reopening uh, demand. Wondering if you have any early indications of how 
the competitive environment looks like currently since the I know it's only it's pretty early, but just wondering if you have any thoughts about the competitive environment and what you're seeing now. Um, and then the second, uh, perhaps some a little bit related, is the, is the ARPU. Um, really nice to see that stability for the first time in a couple of years. Um, I know roaming is, is still unclear, so if we leave that aside for a moment, because that's hard to predict, um, could we still see that ARPU trend continue to improve going through the second half without roaming? Thanks. Hey, Jeff, it's Joe. Why don't I talk about the competitive environment and also churn, and then I'll ask Tony to unpack uh, ARPU X roaming for you. Um, you know, in, in Q2, we saw a very um, uh, healthy volume in the marketplace. Um, you know, we, we fully expect that we'll see overall industry growth in terms of Q2 when everyone finishes reporting. Industry growth that might be similar to um, Q2 of 2019, sort of in that 4% uh, overall subscriber growth uh, range uh, across, across all the peers. Um, and we fully expect that to continue into Q3 uh, as, you know, volumes are there, they're consistent. It certainly uh, is helped by the fact that, you know, stores are pretty much opened up across the country with some limited, you know, volume restrictions in terms of people in the store, et cetera. But there is, there is robust demand, uh, we believe, all across um, the wireless business. And it's just fueled by um, the sense of freedom and people uh, getting out there and using their devices and just feeling that mobility is an important part of their lives. If you look at all the surveys that have been done around the so-called COVID revenge spending, for lack of a better way of describing it, um, you know, where will you spend some money uh, heading into the latter part of this year? You know, a new wireless device sits in the top five category. And you consider the fact that, that um, you know, uh, consumer uh, has never had sort of uh, a higher level of savings. Uh, credit card debt is low. Um, that immigration is resuming. Um, you know, immigration pre-COVID was around 300000 a year, and our government is saying 420 or so uh, is the new sort of annual number and starting to happen. And then the overall GDP outlook. So we think that um, it bodes well for the overall health uh, of the industry. In terms of the competitive intensity around it, uh, you know, back to school will be the telling sign. Um, you know, uh, it's, it's hard to really say what's going to happen overall, but right now what we're seeing is strong competition in the marketplace. In terms of why are we doing well, um, it's really the fact that we're now firing on you know, both cylinders. We've got um, a very strong physical distribution network with over 5,000 points of presence. Uh, we've worked very hard on the digital and omni-channel capability. So even in the throes of Q2 when we were essentially locked down, we were doing very well uh, because of that newfound, newly developed capability, everything from pro on the go to curbside pickup to really the intermingling of physical and digital channels as a whole. And some of that same capability factored into uh, churn management. Um, you know, churn management, base management has become uh, a data analytics game uh, more than anything else, and that is really, you know, mining our understanding of our customer base to uh, you know, try to predict who is vulnerable and thinking of leaving and then intercepting that discussion with an outreach, uh, an outreach that looks to figure out what is the best way, the best offer, the best approach in a very customized and bespoke way for that particular customer conversation. And that capability, we've been spending a lot of time developing it, that precision marketing capability over the last year and a half or so, and you're starting to see it show up in our consistent churn performance. And I would lay it completely at the doorstep of that capability. With respect to your question on ARPU, Jeff, um, might help to sort of break down the, you know, the key components of it and what we see. You know, if you look at um, uh, underlying uh, ARPU, 
of the recurring revenue side. So in other words, subscription revenue. Today we're seeing somewhat flattish um, type of ARPU growth. And so while some customers are upgrading to unlimited, you know, as we talked about uh, earlier, that pace has slowed. And so that ARPU uh, growth catalyst uh, has also slowed. And so for the you know remainder of the year, if we think about the drivers of ARPU, they're really going to be tied to uh, the opening up and continued opening up of the economy um, and all the growth drivers on demand. And so continued data growth usage uh, will increase the propensity to move to unlimited. Uh, the second piece is for those that are on capped plans, uh, we see much less overage revenues. And as that usage increases, um, then we expect some of the overage fees to, to increase as well. Um, and then there are the volume-related fees. And um, as we outlined, we expect a pretty robust uh, Q3 uh, in terms of volumes, and that should help uh, in terms of uh, the ARPU, and we'll need to see where it, where it moves into in Q4. And then finally, as an offset, um, you know, late payment fees have been at uh, record lows um, as consumers uh, have been paying their bills, and you see it in other sectors as well, um, in credit card um, industry, for example. So those are sort of the variables that uh, are impacting the up and down. And so if we have to summarize it, we sort of think, you know, somewhat flattish with mild um, ARPU growth uh, in the back half, if you exclude roaming revenue, to be clear. Um, uh, and perhaps we're being, you know, touch conservative uh, based on, you know, just the unknown variables around uh, COVID and closures. Um, but I hope that color on the variables helps. You know, that helps, Tony. Just maybe a quick, quick one. Um, you said ARPU's flattish in the underlying. How does that compare to, say, the last few quarters? Has that been flattish as well, or has that been slightly negative? Uh, if you were to go back um, several quarters, you know, it's been in the height of the pandemic where movement to unlimited really slowed. Uh, consumers were inside, and what you saw is, frankly, um, you know, some aggressive promos on the bottom end flanker brands. Um, and I would say those gained some popularity, um, but that sort of dissipated, and, and that had a, you know, a modest negative impact on underlying ARPU. Um, and we're seeing that sort of, you know, uh, move away from that trend and um, and move to flattish. So the trend is in the right direction. Great. Thanks, Tony. Thanks, Jeff. Next question, Ariel. Our next question comes from David Barden of Bank of America. Please go ahead. Oh, hi, guys. Thanks for taking the question. It's uh, Matt sitting in for uh, Dave. I just wanted to um, ask about the pent-up demand that you're expecting. Um, we see some other carriers, you know, push aggressively on increasing the proportion of higher end 5G devices to increase the customer experience within their base. Um, do you think that the upcoming pent up demand is going to kind of create that environment for you? Or should we expect some elevated, you know, promotional activity around getting those devices in people's hands to partner with the network expansion that uh, you guys have talked about on the 5G front. Hey, Matt, it's Joe. Uh, there's no question as people come out and, you know, re-enter the mall and start looking at what are the new smartphones out there, there's always an excitement around the latest and greatest and the best devices, especially with 5G devices becoming even more prominent across all the brands. So that will certainly attract attention in the stores. Um, you know, we launched uh, our equipment installment plans in uh, June of uh, 2019, and that was really in an attempt to be a lot more transparent with customers around this is the price of the plan and this is the financing of the phone. And, you know, we fully expect that there will be a continued discipline uh, on that front. Will there be promotions around back to school? Sure. There always are back-to-school promotions. What will they be like? We don't know. It all depends on how the market plays out as a whole. But even if customers come in looking for that you know, iconic uh, high-end device and the affordability is in there, we have got a range of other devices available 
that, you know, are very compelling in terms of feature set. And we continue to have, you know, refurbished devices at our disposal, et cetera, et cetera. So the goal is to get our customers in the right device based on feature set they want and the affordability that they have. Uh, and then to use the the ability of our equipment installment plans to kind of lay out just, you know, what that affordability looks like. Um, and, 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 you know, that's sort of the game. Uh, and that is how we kind of conduct ourselves in the marketplace, put our customers in the right device that they can afford. Uh, but there is pent-up demand, there is excitement, and we're seeing, um, you know, stronger and stronger focus on the iconic devices uh, as sort of a, a, as I said before, as a sort of a, for those who can afford it, a way of coming out of the pandemic and treating themselves to something special. Great. And, and maybe one follow-up, too. Um, uh, Tony mentioned how the late payments are at, you know, I think historic lows or at least, you know, recent lows. I'm not sure which exactly he said. Um, I was wondering what that implies for the bad debt provision of a year ago and when that or whether, whether that's going to be reversed. I didn't see anything in the release, but maybe I, I missed it. If you could just maybe address that. Uh, sure, Matt. Uh, in terms of the provision, uh, we continue to have the vast majority of that provision on our balance sheet. Um, probably continue to hold on to it um, for a few more quarters yet uh, to see how things play out in the fall. Um, and, but we'll be very transparent um, with uh, with you and the investment community uh, if there are changes to it um, and included in our results. All right. Thanks a lot. Thanks, Matt. Uh, next question, Ariel? Our next question comes from Aravinda Galapadige of Canaccord. Please go ahead. Good morning. Thanks for taking my questions, uh, too, from me. Um, I wanted to focus a little bit on wireless uh, costs. Obviously, yet again, you did a good job. Uh, the OPEX was down 11%. I know that uh, bad debt provisioning was a part of that decline, but um, I was wondering, Joe or Tony, whether you can talk to that uh, those initiatives going forward um, as you look to kind of maintain costs um, you know, under control, even as we sort of, sort of think about restart costs and reopenings how we should think of that trajectory beyond even Q3. And then perhaps connected to that, um, um, with respect to handset costs and subsidies, I know that with the launching of VIP plans a year and a half ago, or maybe two years ago, um, sort of bringing down that COA from call it 450 towards maybe even 250, uh, sorry, from 450 to 250, uh, was a focus. I was wondering if um, you know you could kind of provide a kind of an update at least at the industry level, as to what kind of progress um, has been made there. And then a quick question on cable, on internet net ads. Um, I know it was up year over year nicely, but um, you know, perhaps a little lower than what the street was expecting. Um, you know, historically, you were able to do sort of 20,000 in Q2. Um, any color on that, uh, on that result? Thank you. Sure, thanks for the questions, Arvind. I'll start with, um... Um, you know, our first one is on wireless costs. Um, you know, as you said, um, if you're to exclude cost of equipment, uh, very pleased with the reduction we saw uh, year on year of 11% on our other operating expenses. And so, uh, good progress. Uh, bad debt was part of it. Um, and so, keep in mind, you know, we disclosed last year that uh, the total provision was $90 million. Only a portion of that related to wireless, uh, and the rest related to cable. Um, um, so keep that in mind. So we do have true operating efficiencies, and they fall into the categories you would expect. Um, the improvements of our digital uh, channels and the cost efficiency that that's created, you know, sort of stands out as uh, first and foremost. Um, and so that's been uh, uh, an, an extremely uh, helpful productivity tool uh, for us, and frankly, a better customer experience uh, in terms of being able to complete um, most, if not all, of their transactions uh, online. Um, and then that sort of relates to uh, some of the self-help and reduction in call center um, call volumes. Um, one of the things we did say as we moved to Unlimited is we expected uh, some uh, other benefits, and one of them was certainty on the bill. Uh, and so when you look at the cohort of customers on unlimited plans, uh, call volumes are way, way down. Um, and, uh, you know, that's reflected in a much lower churn profile as well. 
So all the benefits we were expecting of customers moving to unlimited, uh, we're actually uh, seeing that. Um, and then, you know, keep in mind the stores were partially closed um, for a good part of Q2, uh, and so therefore there are store savings. And as we, uh, as the stores open up and you look to Q3, we do expect uh, costs to move up, um, and in some cases for some stores ahead of the volume uh, that we expect. Um, but having said that, that's why uh, I clarified in the notes that you should expect to continue to see wireless cable margins in the 63% range to sort of help uh, with that certainty. So in any particular quarter, as things open up and we invest um, in our channels, then um, you may see some of that cost savings being reinvested. Um, but on balance, um, we are chasing what we think is a pretty healthy margin in wireless. Your second question on handset costs and, you know, how the industry has done, I think if you were to look at, and it's unfortunate all disclosure uh, isn't as clear as it could be across the industry, but if you were to look at our numbers, you're very clear on what equipment revenue is and uh, what the cost of equipment is. And if you were to look at, um, you know, what that trend did like over the last two years since the introduction of installment plans, uh, I, th I think what you'll see is a very healthy migration of that net margin moving to flat and in some quarters actually positive uh, as we benefit from you know small margins on the handset and that includes by the way vendor you know OEM rebates um, in there and so uh, you know this quarter um, you know you'll see that we had 448 million dollars of equipment revenue with a cost of 455 so you know, at a net uh, loss, if you will, or investment in the customer of $7 million in terms of subsidy. Uh, and then previous quarters, it was positive. And so um, I think that is most telling of the industry um, in terms of being uh, very careful uh, about, as Joe said earlier, separating what our fee is uh, for service revenue compared to what the cost of the handset is. And so I think as an industry and for our results, uh, we're very pleased with the direction that that's moved in. I think the last question was on internet nets uh, overall. And I would say, you know, for the vast majority of the quarter, we were in a lockdown or series of restrictions in our key cable footprint territories. And bear in mind, Arvinda, that, you know, we've got a number of different channels that operate effectively for us uh, in that space, and one of them is field sales, so door-to-door -door sales, people that uh, work, you know, through different communities and try to create excitement around the Ignite platform, around our capability, et cetera. Um, that was pretty much all curtailed through that period. Uh, and, you know, um, home Internet is you know, not a shopper category. You've heard me say that before. It's not, people don't wake up and say, hey, I should think about changing my home or internet. It really is um, um, a sales-driven exercise. And with our sales channels kind of effectively truncated, whether it's field sales or store sales, et cetera, um, we didn't get the full benefit of that channel capability. That's now come back. Um, yeah, to that, some other uh, elements of what's happening uh, uh, in the marketplace and you know one is in terms of back to school we fully expect that post-secondary uh, students will be for the most part you know back in the classroom uh, and therefore requiring housing near campus uh, for those that are away at school and therefore requiring an internet connection which again is you know part of the opportunity for us as well and then we're seeing a, a bit of a um, you know, a, a return to urban in some parts of, especially Toronto, uh, and you know, a lot of young people left their condos, whether you know rented or owned, and kind of consolidated with their families, you know, outside of the urban center. They're coming back. Um, you know, a lot of condos are vacated that were dedicated to Airbnb, etc., and they're starting to come back. So we'll see that, you know, macro conditions start to prevail. Uh, and then as we kind of get out there with the latest and greatest in terms of Ignite, uh, we think there's even uh, there are even more reasons to come 
uh, and join you know uh, Rogers uh, as a customer. You would have seen recently some of our announcements around the capabilities uh, of Ignite TV with Spotify and Disney Plus around the corner, et cetera. So um, we fully expect that will be uh, another reason to buy uh, as a whole. So we'll, we'll start to see that go in an even better direction over the course of the next few quarters. That's excellent. Thank you so much. Thank you, Aravinda. Uh, next question, Ariel. Our next question comes from Simon Flannery of Morgan Stanley. Please go ahead. Hi, good morning. This is Diego uh, filling in for Simon. Just a couple of questions on uh, the Shaw transaction. Can you provide um, any more color on the timing of maybe public hearings or any updates that we should be on the lookout for uh, to gauge progress there? And then just second, in terms of deleveraging post-deal uh, close, can you kind of touch again on um, some of the additional options you have to deliver, uh, such as the sale of non-core assets, and if there's any change in view there? Thank you. Hi, Diego. Well, I'll take the first one, then uh, I'll ask Tony to uh, comment on the second question. So in terms of the regulatory process, just to remind people that you know, in totality, uh, there are five approvals on the Shaw um, transaction. Uh, one is shareholder approval, which is completed. Second is the Alberta Courts, which is completed. And so we have three to go. Uh, the CRTC around the transfer of the broadcast distribution licenses. Um, uh, I said in terms of spectrum transfer and the Competition Bureau in terms of overall approval of the deal. Our timeline hasn't changed from the last time I talked about it. Uh, we think it'll happen in the first half of 2022 uh, and somewhere in that time frame. Uh, and generally speaking, uh, so far so good is sort of our mindset. Um, there's been a lot of information exchange, a lot of discussion as a whole. Uh, we're going through a thoughtful set of submissions, uh, economic analysis and otherwise. Um, and, you know, more than ever, we believe this is a great idea uh, and a great transaction uh, for consumers and for the ability to invest in rural and remote communities and bringing jobs to Western Canada uh, and really driving the capability of uh, networks and affordability overall. Um, you know, we've got very overwhelmingly positive shareholder approval, which was nice to see. Um, and, you know, it, we'll just make our way through uh, the discussions in the coming months. Uh, and as I said, we expect to get um, uh, an answer in the first half of next year. Um, you know, we feel we have a very strong uh, fact base. We've got a very good set of, uh, of thoughtful economic arguments. Um, you know, the Canadian landscape is an intensely competitive one, and that will persist even after the completion of this deal. And we are still very bullish on the completion of the deal. Uh, with respect to the second part of your question, Diego, on deleveraging post-close, uh, we've outlined before that uh, we have a very robust plan in terms of synergies. Um, and as we continue to work to file, our confidence level on those synergies um, continues to grow. Um, we had put a number out previously of a billion dollars, and uh, we continue to reiterate that uh, we have very uh, good, clear line of sight uh, to those synergy levels. So as we think about delevering, it's really going to come from uh, EBITDA growth and the cost synergy savings. Um, there are additional revenue synergy opportunities that we see, um, but we are um, you know, cautious in forecasting the upside in that growth um, and tend towards numbers that we have high confidence in. And so uh, that's going to be the biggest catalyst to deliver very quickly uh, within the first 24 months of the transaction close. Great. Thank you. Great. Thanks, Diego. Uh, next question, Ariel. Our next question comes from Sebastiano Petty of J.P. Morgan. Please go ahead. Good morning. Thanks for taking the question. I uh, just wanted to see if perhaps you can update us on the um, state of conversations that you're having perhaps with enterprises, businesses, as it pertains to the 5G opportunity, obviously, you know, uh, sticking, staying away from the spectrum angle. But you know, what are you hearing? Um, obviously, there's lots of uh, noise in the market about mobile edge compute, um, network slicing. You know, have, have things evolved or are you seeing um, 
enterprises lean into 5G or are we still in you know, early days here? Thanks, Sebastiano. Um, well, there's a lot of discussion with enterprise customers around 5G and what it means, and we're conducting a lot of um, a lot of analyses for them and doing pilots around different ideas, uh, and so the interest level is there. Uh, I think you know part of your question, I'm sure, is you know one of the most readily available commercial applications that might you know start to generate material economic uh, benefit. Um, as a whole, I would say it kind of falls into a couple of categories um, in the in the very short term. Um, so short term applications have really to do with uh, IoT uh, sensing capability, especially in sectors uh, that you know we're familiar with, whether it's transportation or the resource sector, uh, anywhere where there are um, expensive expensive uh, pieces of equipment or things to manage that a sensor can benefit immediately. Uh, it could be traffic management, it could be public safety, and we're doing work exactly in those areas in a number of different organizations across the country. So that's one, and bear in mind, we are already the IoT leader in 4G, so it's very natural for us to you know, extend the conversation as to what's different in 5G and what new areas are available in those sectors. Uh, the next thing we're seeing is, you know, I would call it the precursor to network slicing, and that is the ability of organizations to have a bespoke network. Um, so leveraging uh, the capabilities around 5G um, to, you know, cover their factory or cover uh, their mining site and provide capabilities rather than build their own network. Uh, by a portion of our network, very bespoke characteristics uh, around everything from speed to latency to different signaling, et cetera. So that's a very real application that's happening right now. Uh, the one everybody talks about is mobile edge computing, and there I would say we're, it's more in the medium term. We're busy uh, building relationships and partnerships to provide mobile edge computing capability across you know, our 9,000 uh, wireless uh, sites. Uh, and there, there's a lot of, I would say, analysis and showcasing type work going on, um, but not really at sort of the, the key uh, um, material economic level. And you would have seen some of that uh, in uh, my comments earlier, like the, the shuttle on the University of Waterloo campus is a demonstration project, a showcase project that's real. The shuttle traversing the campus that is um, you know, run by our 5G network and the mobile edge capability that it has. Uh, the work that we're, we've been doing with Inter Robotics around using the 5G network for drone delivery. These are all great showcase um, uh, exercises and, you know, really prove uh, the concept. Um, and we believe in the years to come, these will be large material applications that will start to take hold. Um, in certainly in terms of um, you know managing infrastructure and managing ideas across one of the largest landscapes in the world, uh, we think it'll be a very very important uh, consideration set in bringing computing power to every corner of Canada. You think about you know you get your head around mobile edge computing in an urban setting, it's pretty straightforward. You think about a country the size of Canada, 5G needs to cover every corner of this country and provide a consistent mobile edge capability uh, if we're really going to deliver on the value in some of these applications and ideas. And we're dead set on doing exactly that. You know, we've expanded to, to uh, 700 communities or so. We're on, on, on track to cover 70% of Canada, and we're going to keep going in terms of the coverage of 5G. It is our future and an important part of where we're going. I hope that helps. No, that was great. And, and if I could just quickly follow up, I believe on Aravinda's question, just regarding just the internet um, uh, loadings in the quarter, is it? It sounds as though the the slowdown uh, in two Q is perhaps related to just limited, you know, gross ads uh, or you know, jump balls in the market. Is that fair? And you know, would you, how would you categorize just the you know the competitive environment? Are the should we assume that you know? Is there any relate any correlation between the two there, the slowdown and just you know overall uh, you know more competitive you know or fiber expansion from you know, some of your competitors? Thank you. Yeah, Sebastiano, I 
I would very much relate it to um, the market dynamics. Uh, as Joe said, it was uh, a relatively slow quarter um, with the lockdowns, and we didn't have the usual catalyst um, that you would see in that space. Don't mistake that um, for, you know, as things open up where we sit from a product standpoint, you know, our competitive advantage of one gig, which has now moved to 1.5 gigs, um, we have one gig across our entire footprint um, and 1.5 gig uh, as of today across the majority of our footprint quickly moving to our entire footprint as well. Um, so, um, you know, uh, you know that's on top of, as Joe talked about, some of the recent tests and third-party validation of best Internet. So uh, I think we're feeling very good from a product standpoint, and then you layer on top of that uh, the Ignite TV um, or, uh, you know, Comcast Xfinity product uh, that you'd be familiar with on top of that. And so, you know, from a home perspective, um, our advantage um, on um, – uh, the product set is clear, and uh, we've seen it play out, continue to see it play out, and expect to play out. You then layer on top of that our distribution channels um, uh, and sales, and you know that's been on sort of quiet mode um, as a result of the lockdowns. And as that opens up, uh, we expect that to, uh, to open up as well. Uh, and then we continue to do well in greenfields. So that's always been our strong suit uh, for a number of different reasons, and and. Um, uh, so, you know, we have led and continue to increase Internet penetration um, consistently, and as things grow, we expect to get um, dominant share uh, of that growth. Um, and then in terms of cable, let's not forget uh, the performance of our, you know, our business, R4B, uh, within that. Uh, we continue to um, do well in that space. There's been a bit of a slowdown. Uh, as you would expect, as restaurants slow down and things like that. Um, and so as they come out of closure, um, we're seeing good uh, demand pick up there, um, and that will contribute to um, you know, cable subscriber improvements that you'll see in Q3. Great. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Sebastiano. Ariel, we have time for uh, two more questions. Certainly. Our next question comes from Jerome Dubrul of Desjardins. Please go ahead. Yes, thanks for taking my question. Uh, just going back to the increase in the, in wireless capex, uh, the acceleration. Uh, I'm looking for the reasons uh, behind this acceleration. We we've seen it uh, with the peers as well, um, but the true 5G impact on the PNL I don't think is expected uh, in the near term. So, so if you can uh, go through the rationale uh, of this acceleration, please. Sure, Jerome. Uh, I think you, at the end of the day, um, the investment in 5G is happening now uh, across our, our footprint. Uh, we're also increasing um, capacity and coverage in the major corridors. Um, you would have seen us go through, you know, and cover uh, by the end of the year 70% of Canada with 5G, uh, and it's important that you know we get um, we get uh, that going for all the reasons uh, and getting ready for the future as a whole. Uh, and bear in mind that the very first you know uh, application, uh, the killer app on 5G, is really about spectrum efficiency. So it is really important that you know. Um, we we uh, continue to make those investments uh, as a whole. Uh, and bear in mind, it's a very efficient spend. Um, it's you know we we uh, we're very uh, uh, capable in terms of moving in with uh, 4G LTE advanced capability. A couple of years ago, we made the commitment to go all of Ericsson uh, as a result, and now we're just lighting up those cell sites. So. As we said before, you can you know expect us to have you know um, uh, capex in that range of 12 to 14 percent on a just overall average basis, and there are going to be peaks and valleys in the course of time around that. But that's a good run rate for our business in wireless. Great, thank you. Thanks, Jerome. Our last question, Ariel, please. Our final question comes from David McFadden of Cormark. Please go ahead. Oh, hi, yeah, thanks for uh, squeezing me in. Um, so I have two questions. 
just following up on the bad debt expense and wireless, I was just wondering if you could give us the delta year over year. I'm just wondering how much of the EBITDA improvement was just due to that. And then secondly, you mentioned um, in your release about an increase in roaming revenue. I wouldn't have expected roaming revenue to really pick up uh, yet, uh, just given in Q2 the travel restrictions were still fairly much there. So I was just wondering um, what that impact was as well, because it's nice to see it already pick up, because I think a lot of people believe that as the travel restrictions loosen, roaming revenue could really pick up for, uh, for Rogers. Thanks, David. Um, really good questions. Uh, two things. In terms of bad debt year-on-year, year, it's $90 million. Um, so in Q2 of last year, we took the provision of $90 million, uh, and this quarter, we didn't release any um, provision. And so um, think about the delta is $90 million. Um, roughly, I don't think we disclosed the split between wireless and cable, um, um, but so I'll leave it at a consolidated level. And then in terms of roaming, Keep in mind, last year we um, credited customers for all of roaming. So we essentially had no roaming revenue. You may remember as a goodwill gesture for customers that were stuck outside of Canada, had trouble coming back into Canada uh, with the border closures. Um, we gave them free roaming for a period of time, um, which, was, uh, which ended at the end of June. Uh, and so, you know, when I say we have $25 million of revenue this quarter, we didn't have that last year um, at all. So while the volume is about the same, a little bit higher, uh, we're actually getting paid for it this uh, in this QT. Hope that helps, David. Okay. Yeah, no, thanks so much. Uh, thanks, everyone, for joining us uh, today. And if there's any follow-ups, please uh, reach out uh, to the IR team. Uh, thank you. This concludes today's conference call. You may disconnect your lines. Thank you for participating and have a pleasant day. Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time.